Welcome back to the Lost Retrospective of Scorpion, Part 2. So, before we get started, I will kindly take the time to remind all and sundry, new listeners and old, that we have a Facebook group, which we hardly ever post in anymore, but you can still join up, and through that you'll find a link to our Discord server where the conversation is, as the kids say, bumping. So, last time, we had gotten up to, I believe... Yes, we covered up to Armageddon, and we were about to start MK9. But I feel that before we do that, we should talk about Shaolin Monks, shouldn't we? Yes, we did. Should. <laughs> yes, we should. Sorry. Yes. No, I say yes, we did, because I'm on cough medicine right now, and I did just recap myself on Shaolin Monks very, very briefly. Now... Am I crazy or, like, did Ed voice Scorpion in that game? The whole thing. It's entirely possible. He's got that, like, huskiness to his voice that you associate with the Get Over Here soundbite. It's all it's all new recordings, which is weird because there is a lot of reused audio in Shaolin Monks, straight from MK2, which I like. Well, for what it's worth, he sounds good. Yeah, like... Like, all of Liu Kang and Kung Lao's uh, fight noises, all their grunts and stuff, are pretty much straight out of MK2 and 3. You've even got, like, every time Kung Lao does a throw, you gotta lick it. <laughs> Christ, does it really every time? Oh, been too many years. I think there's two clips. There's, um, And then there's, lick it! <laughs> On that topic, uh, Scorpion's got a little hellfire summon thing where you, uh, have to jump from one part of the platform to the next... And it really sounds like he's saying, You're gonna die all! <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, but story-wise, uh, Scorpion's role in Shaolin Monks is baffling. It doesn't make a lot of sense, no. Like, first Sub-Zero's trying to track him down because he thinks he killed his brother or he knows he killed his brother. Yeah, like, again, some of the things in Shaolin Monks were... Um... I guess, preludes to the changes they were going to make in MK9, because... In some ways. Remember the original timeline, uh, the reason Quiet Liang went to the MK2 tournament was never to avenge his brother, it was to finish his brother's mission, which was assassinating Shang Tsung for money. Mm. And he just happens to run into Scorpion during the tournament, but Scorpion beats him, so he's like... Should I even go after revenge? Is it, you know, gonna get me killed, maybe? And also, like, why did Scorpion let me live? That's weird. <laughs> For the record, though, I think it's actually a pretty fair change. I want to know where my missing brother went to. I mean, I don't... It can be both. I don't hate it. I just, the problem I have is that the whole theme of the introduction we got to Kwai Liang was supposed to be about showing how different he is from Bihan. Bihan kills everybody, no remorse, does his job. Kwai Liang kind of hates being an assassin and spares people whenever he can. Like, he'll only kill someone if he has to, because that's what the mission's about. Yeah. But... It's supposed to be a prelude to the fact that he's going to leave the clan, that he's actually a good guy, and Raiden's going to convince him, you know... Well, Raiden doesn't convince him to leave the Lin Kuei. The fact that they're turning everybody into robots does. But <laughs> Raiden does convince him to join the good guys from then on. Well, that would dissuade just about any sane person. Yeah, the way we're introduced to Kuei Liang is supposed to introduce us to the idea that this guy is different from all the other ninjas because he kind of hates 
killing for money. The fact that he is looking for his brother kind of goes a little bit of the way in showing that too. I guess I just I just feel like a, a Kui Liang who's um, continuing the cycle of revenge. You know, they put one of ours in the hospital. We put one of theirs in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's yeah. not what I want to see from Sub-Zero. I mean, there is the question, you know, assuming that he wanted revenge, would he even be able to take it? Probably not. Yeah, well, that's that's a weird thing. Like, in the old timeline, they repeatedly established that Sub-Zero can't actually beat Scorpion in a fight. Like, Scorpion's powers are specifically designed for defeating Sub-Zero's. That's why he got fire. <laughs> but in MK9, Sub-Zero beats Scorpion, and it's, like, easy. <laughs> so... Honestly, Shaolin Mugs kind of goes a little bit of the way into establishing... Or, you know, setting up the question, can Scorpion even be beaten properly, you know? I mean, how long does it take for him to actually die, come back through the portal, and keep the fight going? Yeah, so there's... So, the first weird thing is that Shaolin Monk starts at the end of the tournament on Shang's Island. And at the end of it, everybody just kind of parts ways and runs away. Like, all the bad guys go through a portal to Outworld, and all the good guys run off the island because it's collapsing. Sub-Zero didn't get killed yet. Like, Scorpion doesn't kill Bihan on screen at all. So apparently it just happened who knows when and where after the tournament. One of several mistakes Shaolin Monks made. Yeah, like... You would think that maybe that would be something you'd want to put in that opening cutscene, you know? Because the way it stands now, when did Bihan die? Was he just on his way home and Scorpion popped out and jumped him? I mean, <laughs> to be fair, even the MK2 comic, Raiden just kind of offhandedly mentioned, oh yeah, well all that shit was going down, uh, Scorpion killed Sub-Zero. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing, though. Like, it was always sort of... I've never actually gotten at to least, see it. At least it happened at the island. Yeah. Is the important thing. Oh, and briefly, according to MK9, since like last time we were talking about this, we were wondering like how exactly was he died in the original timeline. MK9 actually shows us in like quick flashback form after Raiden like busts out the amulet and does the time travel thing, you get a bunch yeah. of different images. And as it turns out, the way that Scorpion killed Sub Zero was the exact same way that he died. So canonically, yeah, apparently yeah. he did the spine rip. Yep. Which is weird because I'm pretty sure it was the toasty in the old timeline. There's, there's a lot of weird things about Raiden's visions. That's what everyone kind of assumed. Like, I don't know why they would take the time to show us that he did the head and spine rip. Well, here's the, here's the reason. Did. It's because they wanted that transition where the head changes into Noob Saibot. I you can't guess, do that with a, a skeleton. <laughs> it does kind of really fly in the face of everyone assuming, and let's be real, it was everyone, for years on end, that the canonical fatality he had during the MK1 time, the Toasty, was the way he killed him. That's what yeah, we're all they just, assuming. They wanted, they wanted to do that fancy visual trick where you're looking at Sub-Zero's head, and then his head is in the same place when you're looking at Noob Saibot. Yeah. And for the record, I was I was never a fan of Scorpion having the head and spine rip and deception. It just felt weird and no. strange and you know, like, to me. That's like in in Legacy, Scorpion kills him with the spine rip there too. 
I don't know. It just feels... Some sort of backhanded arse backwards comment on the cycle of vengeance and history like repeating it. itself. It's trying to be... It's it's poetry. It rhymes. You know, that old line from George <laughs> Lucas. It's just cooler to see him take off the mask and burn the guy to death. So I'll give MK9 that, both for establishing that incorrectly in the first place and then fixing it. I mean, that's the weird thing. In Raiden's vision, it's the spine rip, but when we actually see it, it's the toasting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. So Shaolin Mucks. But yeah, we're not there yet. So so Bihan somehow dies after the tournament and we don't get to see it. Uh, and then cut to Okay, so the plot of Shaolin Monks doesn't make any goddamn sense, but I know. In summary, Shang Tsung, disguised as Raiden, has lured Liu Kang and Kung Lao into Outworld and is making them go around and kill all of Khan's lieutenants and he's telling them that this is part of a tournament even though it's not, so that they'll do it. But what he's really doing is he wants all of those guys dead so he can take their souls and get stronger. To be very fair to Shang Tsung, that is a nice little scheme. It's just it's okay as a scheme, but as Mortal Kombat 2, it makes no fucking sense. It fails as a retelling, yes. <laughs> right. But hey, they had Shang doing things. That's that's nice. Yeah, also also it leads to the deaths of many characters who are supposed to be alive in MK3. So Everybody in Shaolin Monks <laughs> dies except for Melina, who is the one that is actually supposed to die. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, Liu Kang and Kung Lao have made their way to the Wasteland. Because it is the next stop on their crusade of death. <laughs> and when they get to the wasteland, they run into Sub Zero at uh, it's like a dock. It it kind of looks like the cove, but obviously MKX is several years off yet, so it's not. <laughs> no, I mean any any associations are probably loose at best, and also the sea is made of blood, which the cove plainly wasn't. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't exactly remember why they're in the Wasteland, but I do know that after they fight Sub-Zero and Kung Lao gives him the scar from MK3, which is, I'm sorry, that is the dumbest possible way for them to explain where it came from. Like, Let's let's save that for, for the Kwai Lang retrospective, because yeah. I don't like it either. Yeah, so, so anyway, after he cuts uh, one of Sub-Zero's eyes out, uh, Sub-Zero... Liu Kang stops the fighting, is just like, wait, wait, we're on the same side, why are we fighting? And Sub-Zero is just okay with this, even though he's now bleeding from the face forever. Like, <laughs> like apparently the scar just closes up. <laughs> Ice powers as a band-aid, yay? <sighs> well, if they had done that, like, graphically, if we'd seen it, but no, it's just... Oh, I have this big red streak on my face now. It's fine. It's not going to bleed. <laughs> Maybe he just freezes the blood around the area, and it's all, like, at a microscopic level. I can't believe we're actually discussing this. Yeah, no, but Either way, it's dumb. So, so they immediately make friends, and Sub-Zero's like, where are you going? And they're like, we're going to that castle over there. So Sub-Zero's like, all right, let me help you get there. And um, lifts a boat out of this river of blood with ice, because ice, ice floats. And the boat is full of holes. And then they take the boat, and they go to this castle, which the dialogue actually indicates is the old castle of Edenia. It's where uh, Jared and Sindel and Katana used to live until Shao Kahn came along. Hmm. 
And the important thing about why they're at this castle is that Goro is currently hiding out here. This is where he's gone into hiding out of shame from losing MK1. Apparently, um, they're looking for him so they can fight him because that'll count as one of their tournament victories. Radom sent them after. So Sub-Zero's like, all right, I'm going to help you find and fight Goro. And as they're walking through the castle, all of a sudden, for no reason... For no reason, <laughs> Scorpion jumps out of a portal, uh, kicks Sub-Zero, and then runs away back into the portal. <laughs> Something like that. You know what? In my point of view, this is entirely consistent with his attitude for the course of most of the original timeline. I'm okay with this. <laughs> He's just an angry asshole. I should mention, when you run into Sub-Zero the first time and you ask why he's an Outworld... He just gives a vague answer about how his own clan has turned on him. So apparently he's already running away from the Cyber Initiative. Yeah, they kind of mishmash two and three to some degree together. I mean, and like kind of do that in nine, two, and I also, but... You run into Cabal in the Wasteland for some strange reason. Well, he's you not... run into Cabal because the Wasteland is full of red dragons and black dragons who are fighting each other because the black dragons came to get Kano because yeah. he's, you know, locked up in the arena. And the red dragons are just going where the black dragons are to fight them, I guess? You know, they're having their gang war in Outworld for no good reason? Like, that bugs me, because the red dragons are supposed to be in hiding until Deadly Alliance. Nobody's supposed to know they exist. Didn't make sense, but they needed NPCs. Yeah. So Scorpion, like, kicks Sub-Zero in the back of the head and then runs away. Yeah, and just I... whoop, 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 whoop off screen. <laughs> I guess that's him going, okay... This is, like, the guy who killed me, but not. I gotta see about this. I'll get his attention and draw him away from these two Shaolin goons. I... You would think that because you want it to make sense. I'm just trying to come up with a plausible explanation. It's the thing I do, even though I know Shaolin Monks does not deserve much of that, but... It's about to start making a lot less sense. Because... So Sub-Zero goes... That's the guy who killed my brother. I have to go after him. I know I promised to help you with Goro, but... I gotta go. Sorry. And he follows Scorpion through the portal to the Nether Realm. And so after you beat Goro, you end up uh, traveling to the Nether Realm. And it's funny because the moment they get there, Liu Kang and Kung Lao are like, "Wait, we're good guys. Aren't we supposed to not be able to come here?" And then Raiden shows up, and he's like, "What do you think all this killing I've been having you do is doing to your soul?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, actually. And Kung Lao is like, isn't he supposed to not be able to use magic in other realms? <laughs> Even when things are making sense, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're now openly pointing out the plot holes. And these are supposed to be hints that Raiden is actually Shang in disguise. But they read more like the story knows it's stupid. <laughs> oh, God. Because... Even by the end of the game, Liu Kang and Kung Lao never actually figure out that Raiden is Shang in disguise. They yeah, they never told. bring it up. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> like, there are moments where one of them goes, something's wrong with Raiden, and the other is like, I'm sure Raiden will explain when the time is right. <laughs> Doesn't Shang himself actually show them? Uh, they get to the arena, and Shao Kahn says, Ah, your master... <laughs> you got fooled, guys. And then Raiden comes in and he hits them with his stick because he's Shang. Yep. 
<laughs> so he's yeah. just like, I can't believe you fell for it the entire game. You never figured it out. Anyway, so Liu Kang and Kung Lao are in the nether realm, and they're looking around, and they bump into uh, Sub-Zero again, and Sub-Zero's chasing noob Cybot. And they're just like, I thought you went after Scorpion. And he's like, I did, but I think that guy's my brother. And and then they're like, okay, but where's Scorpion? And Sub-Zero says, oh, don't worry. He wants to kill you, too. <laughs> because that's Why? what Scorpion does. He's angry, and he wants to kill people. But why? <laughs> I remember feeling that even though the game was stupid at the time as I was playing it, I'm like, you know what? That's fair characterization for him. He does hate everything. He's all about yeah, revenge. No, it it makes it sound like he's specifically waiting for those two to show up. Like he's been planning to fight Liu Kang and Kung Lao. Like he's got some beef against them that is never explained. Like the only way this makes sense is if Shang went to Scorpion and got him a, to agree to this whole fake tournament thing. <laughs> like, I can maybe see Sub-Zero encountering Scorpion before you show up, and he's like, oh, so those Shaolin weirdos are helping you out? Fine, I'll kill them too. You know, it doesn't matter much to me, but at the time it was like, what? Yeah, so, it just, it's never explained is the problem. Like... There's a difference between something that's dumb, but you try to explain it, and something that's dumb, but you just keep your mouth shut. One is more dumb than the other. <laughs> At the time, though, I'm like, you know what? I don't really get it, but I kind of buy it, because up until, like, I'd say deception, I was starting to get pretty sick of old Skullface. It was just revenge, 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 and other people were doing more interesting things, and Sub-Zero was leading the clan, and all you've got to do is tap Scorpion on the shoulder and tell him that this guy killed your family and clan. It doesn't really matter who it is, he'll go after them. And when we get to 9 and, like, X, I think that that changes. See, I, I never felt that way because MK2 and 3 Scorpion is so important to my love of the character. Yeah, but I just don't think that they did a lot with him from, like, 4 up to maybe Deception. And there were a lot of characters I wanted to see more of instead, you know? I kind of felt like Scorpion's Revenge stick is done. And when Deadly Alliance came out, I was like, well, looks like he's still on that Revenge kick. I don't know. Didn't really appeal to me. I thought that, like, Katana trying Revenge, Liu Kang's death, all that was way more interesting to me. At the time, yes, Shaolin Monks, I was like, yeah, this is just about par for the course. It's stupid, but this is who I feel like Scorpion pretty much is. Just angry, and he'll stab people for no reason. I, I never felt that way about it. Yeah. It just... I, I just viewed him as really one note for years and I years just, and There's years. so many layers of why this doesn't make sense. Like, first of all, they're not even in Outworld anymore. Oh, yeah. How, how does this dumb tournament thing that Shang has created to fool them even work because part of it is every time they kill one of these guys they get like a magic amulet thing that unlocks the door to the to the fucking armory hell of a lot of amulets in this universe hell yeah and so so I guess I guess Shang has in fact made a deal with Scorpion because he's got one of these keys to the door it's so weird so now you're trying to explain it I don't know but but anyway, 
you find Scorpion, and they've sort of tried to recreate as a as a three D circular platform the the hell stage from Ultimate MK three, which is kind of cool looking. The thing that Shaolin Monks did really well it was environment and atmosphere. Yeah, the the one thing I feel that it's missing is like so the columns just kind of look like cracked lava and stone. They don't really look like they're made of skeletons. That bugs me a little bit. True. And also, like, the thing that I always loved about that stage was the lighting made the skeletons look purple. It made it more, like, vivid and colorful, and most of the time when they recreate the hell stage, it's all just red, orange, and yellow. I miss the purple. This place. It feels... dark. (laughs) A little bit of Shushinko for you. Indeed. The absence of purple, a continuing factor in our problems with MK. I know, right? Like, what do they have against that color? They won't let rain on the roster either. <laughs> Maybe one day, like, Ed just broke out his record collection and, like, he put on Under the Cherry Moon and went, What am I doing with my life? Threw them away. <laughs> Garage sale. So, yeah. The, uh, the Scorpion fight's one of the more fun ones in that game, actually. Yeah, the Scorpion fight is actually one of the better boss fights. Like, there are... So as much as I love Shaolin Monks, there are a couple boss fights that are just straight-up bullshit, like, frustrating rather than fun. One is uh, Reptiles, because he keeps uh, leaving the battlefield to shoot force balls from a balcony at you, and there's no pattern to dodging them, you just have to get lucky. (laughs) And the other is Barakas, because at the end of it, you have to, like... You have to pick up these swords and hit him until a test your might happens so that you can stun him and impale him with the swords. But there's no real way to trigger the test your might on purpose. You just have to wait for it. Otherwise, he can keep parrying you and running you through until you're dead. It wasn't hard, just really grueling and kind of... No, it was just the RNG of it. you, You have to wait until the test your might happens, and it the computer might decide it's never going to happen and you just fucking die and have to do the fight over. I think I do remember a fair amount of people asking what the hell was up with that fight. Yeah. But for me, it was Shao Kahn and the fucking hammer twirl. <laughs> yeah. Christ Jesus. I mean, the so Shao Kahn is obviously, like, supposed to be a pain in the ass because he's the last fight. But the part that made it difficult was that you had to fight Shang and Kintaro first with no... Yep. Save points and almost no healing in between. And Shang and Taro weren't that bad. No, they were fine. And honestly, Khan himself isn't fine until you get to the hammer stage and he does the spin. And, like, you barely have enough time to do a complete jump away and then do another one before he manages to hit you. You've really got to lure him around the edge of the ring. Yeah. For the maximum amount of range and spacing... You're very much playing a game of tag, making him chase you in circles. (laughs) And and in two-player, where you share a fucking health bar, now he has two potential targets. I'm so glad I never clubbed Shaolin Monks with anyone. Ever. (laughs) Like, I think I I I played with a friend of mine once, but I don't recall us actually finishing the game. I actually, I've played played Shaolin Monks co-op several times. It actually is a lot of fun. Like, the shared health bar doesn't bother me, really, except for the Shao Kahn fight, which is the end of the game anyway. I remember it being kind of fun. I just don't remember ever having to take on Khan with a friend, and I can imagine how much of a horror show that would be. 
I mean, honestly, it's still it's still my favorite Mortal Kombat game from a gameplay point of view. Good reason. Anyway, so the Scorpion fight—it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So so Scorpion's fight is like three different stages. I think it's the most elaborate boss fight in the game. Because first first you fight him just normal in the uh, the health stage platform. And then when you get his health down enough, a little cutscene plays where you're trying to, like, kick him into the lava, and he, like, uses his spear to grappling hook out of it. And then he teleports over to another platform, and you've got to chase him over there, and he's uh, lighting the um, platforms you're running on on fire, and he looks like the fucking guy from Fantasia. <laughs> yeah, he's up there, like, basically conducting an orchestra of flame. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Because, like, the camera cuts to, like, over his shoulder watching you run. Across the platforms. It's great. Dun, 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 dun. So then you get to where he is, and you're you're on another round fighting platform, but he's still up on a perch, and he's still lighting on the ground on fire, and so you've got to dodge that and wait for him to throw his spear at you. And he'll miss, and it'll get stuck in the ground, and then you can do a test your might to pull him towards you and fight him. And it's just fucking hilarious to see him sitting there kind of tugging and trying to get his spear out of the ground for all he's worth. But no, <laughs> you drag him over for a change, and then and, you smack him And around. you beat him up, and this time you do kick him into the lava. If I remember right, they wrap the rope around his oh, neck, yeah, yeah. stab uh, him in the wrap eye. Wrap the rope around his throat, stab it into him, and then swing him into the fucking lava. <laughs> but that's not the end. Because no. you, you you know Ed was like, make this the best boss fight in yeah, the game. So, I don't care. So you start you start walking off the platform to the door, and all of a sudden it cuts to another cutscene where Scorpion leaps out of the lava, he's not wearing his mask anymore, and his skin is red. And this is Inferno, Inferno Scorpion. Inferno Scorpion. And in this mode, he has all of the like rope dart spinning moves. And it's just so fucking cool. It's it really is like in my opinion, it's the best it's the best imagined way for Scorpion to fight that any of the games have ever had. I've said I've said several times before that I don't like him using swords because it takes away from his signature weapon. He should do everything with the spear. He should use it like a rope dart and spin it around like that. That's that's the ideal Scorpion gameplay that I would want in the main game. And Shaolin Monks is really the only game that's actually done it. I feel the same way, but just kind of about the fire. I don't know if I brought this up last time, but as the games progressed, there was more and more of an emphasis on him using fire for special moves. First in MK4, it was like the little toasty special move where like he just burned you at close range. Then he was summoning fire out of the ground. Now he's actually throwing fireballs. It's become... Yeah, more I don't, and more I don't and more. like him having just a straight-up fireball in MKX. But him just, like, lighting his fists and feet on fire to hit you with, I actually think that's kind of cool. I like that's that. That's nice. It's just that I, I just I never believed that it was a legitimate ice versus fire conflict all the way. Like, the, the original game is kind of, I felt, made it more of a point to display ninjutsu powers, like the uh, the ground sweep kick... And I mentioned last time that I really think that the uh, afterimage and the teleport punch is as much an ninjutsu trope as it is a ghost trope. So the more and more Ghost Rider-ish he became with the Hellfire, the more I was kind of, eh, but less overt though. And I know he was always intended as a Ghost Rider homage in part. Yeah, my perspective on it is that, like, 
I think you have a point for if you're like making the early games, like. And Sheldon Monks is a is a remake of MK2, so maybe he shouldn't have had so much fire. But like for for like the original trilogy or a remake or reboot of the original trilogy, I think it makes sense for him to use less fire. But I think as the timeline moves forward, the more time he spends in hell, the more it should be affecting him, and therefore the more hellfire moves he should gain. It's it's a character development thing for me. That's what makes okay. it work. I hadn't actually really considered it as being a part of his character development, but that's an interesting way to look at it. Sure. Because, I mean, that's how it happened in real time, because, like, he had less fire. Like, all he did was breathe it. And then he didn't get, like, the the ability to summon it out of the ground and, like, put it on his fists and feet until Deadly Alliance, in which, like, that game specifically says in its storyline that he has grown stronger because he spent more time in hell. To some, I just kind of wish that he felt more like a ninja for the most part, and he was actually kicking around the spear the way he does in Shaolin Monks, rather than just, he was in fire a lot of the time, and... I don't mind Scorpion being the most ninja-y, because I feel like, even though he is the one who's an actual Japanese ninjutsu practitioner, I feel that Smoke and Noob Saibot better encapsulate what a ninja does. Oh yeah, that's totally fair. Thematically. Well, at the time when mythologists came out, they were all insistent about Scorpion being the ninja. They should show it a little bit. That's not to say that I think that he should be using Smoke's moves or anything, but... It's it's just that it's because he's dead. Like, if we were playing as a living Hanzo Hazashi in a game set before MK1, I would want him to sort of... I want his animations to be redone the way Human Sector and Cyrax are, specifically yeah. Cyrax, where his teleport involves dropping a smoke bomb. Oh, totally. I would want that for Hanzo when he's alive. After he dies, I think the more hell spawny he behaves, the more that sort of reflects his story. Like he's he's still a ninja, he still has that training, but it's not kind of what his life's about when he's a dead guy. No, that's fair. I just don't want them to leave it behind entirely. And it disappoints me that, like you said, he's using a sword a lot of the time, and nothing wrong with that per se. I I do like the sword pop-up bounce in the modern games, and I I feel like he could be doing more, like, more with, like, a... Well, it's like his de facto combo opener now, so... Yeah, yeah, that's why it bothers me, because I've seen it a billion times. It's boring. Totally. (laughs) Get more openers, man. Do something else. <laughs> Which reminds me, speaking of the weapons he uses, it kind of bothered me that he was using axes in Ultimate. Yeah, I so I don't I don't think of that little axe as his. He I it. think of it as human smokes. <laughs> <laughs> that also bothers me, but for different reasons. I, neither of them feel like axe characters to me. Well, here's here's the other thing, like the. Uh, the design of that axe, they tried to make his spearhead look like that in his alt costume in Deception. Do you uh, think it worked, or did it just look weird? It was bizarre, and I, and I never made the association, actually. Yeah, I mean, because it's obviously, it's not an axe there, it's just no. a, a two-pronged spear, but it's it's like they took that design and shaped it into a spear. And it's, obviously, he's in his Ultimate MK3 costume, 
that's what his deception alt is, so that's why they did that. You try things, you see what works. I would certainly r rather him have a weird-looking kunai than the actual hatchet. Yeah, that's kind of the angle I was hoping to bring up. It's like, he's got a sword, yeah, and maybe he's using it a bit more often than he should be, ideally. That's really nitpicky of us, but it's it's better than him, like, flailing around with an axe. I just don't think the sword should be part of what the Shirai Ryu do. Like, I know it's a generic ninja sword, and he's a ninja, but because the name of the Shirai Ryu comes from the throwing darts, I feel like the spear should be the only weapon they train, and it, it should be their signature thing. I don't know about the only one, but I do want to see him use it more in, 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 in gameplay. It certainly would be nice. Yeah. So, uh, Inferno Scorpion. Right, so, uh, pretty much plays like regular Scorpion, except he has summoning fire out of the ground and spinning this rope dart around, which is all very cool. And when you finally beat him for the third time, there is an elaborate cutscene where you're... Again, you keep trying to kick him into lava. Liu Kang and Kung Lao are obsessed with the idea that this is how you beat him, even though it hasn't worked once already. And there's a bunch um, of skeletons trying to drag him down, and he kicks yeah, them th off. This time, this time, a bunch of like zombies and skeletons crawl out of the lava and pull him in. And as he's going down, he gives the Terminator thumbs up, and that's how you know the fight's finally over. A little bit before that, though. They start dragging him in, but he kicks them off, and he yeah. comes at you again. He gets kicked back in, and he starts pulling himself up with a rope toward the ceiling. It's at this point that, like, a random zombie skeleton spawns near, like, your player, and they use that. Yeah, they, like, they kick, kick the zombie the skeleton into him. Scorpion. That is finally how they beat him. They <laughs> knock him back into the lava with a skeleton, and as he's going down, he gives the Terminator thumbs up. And your character actually bows to him like, good fight! <laughs> well, this was a tournament victory, right? You get the fucking amulet for the door. <laughs> See, at the time I was like, okay, cute little Terminator reference, but now it's like, ah, you finally managed to take me out. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> and that's all she wrote for Shaolin Mucks. That's that's pretty much all. Like, again, Scorpion exists in this game just for that, like... He wants to kill you too. But why though? <laughs> what does he have to do with any of this? He's just an angry man. <laughs> Throw something at him. He'll try to kill it. And He's fight not it. even an outworlder. Why does he count for this tournament? <laughs> That's just his character from this, 1992. This tournament. <laughs> why am I so bothered by the rules of it? Because everything in Shaolin Monks is terrible. Uh, I love that game. But so do I. They're so fucking bad. Okay, like, not everything in Shaolin Monks is terrible. The gameplay is fun. Like we've said, like, the. I got, like, again, the stage it design. It's actually my favorite game to play. I can see how that would bother you. If everything about the game, except for the story, were immensely enjoyable and they botched the story to hell. In my favorite game, yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off, too. I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I remember sitting down there and going, what? No. That that doesn't make any sense. And there was one of those MKO chats with the developers, and I think Ed was there, and he was like, 
just look at it as a what-if scenario. <laughs> yeah. I, they did They did two chat rooms with MKO. In the first one, they tried to swear, no, no, it's totally canon. This is what really happened. And in the second one, they're finally like, yeah, it's it's not canon. <laughs> they knew what to expect. I can I can only imagine like them going through the game and going, wait, is is this how it happened? I, guys, I don't think this is how it happened. Yeah, Why are they all dead? We should mention. So Shaolin Monks was not developed by in house at Midway. It was developed by uh, Paradox Software, mm, which was it. on the West Coast, not in Chicago. Uh, this and this was Sean Himmerich's studio before he actually joined Midway. And the script was written by a a freelancer. They brought in a comic book guy, Jim Kruger, who had written some Justice League books that Alex Ross did the art on. And they got a comic book guy because, and this is specifically what they said to the fans in their like interviews and press releases and stuff. They said they got a guy from the comic book industry because people who work on comics are experts at like working with continuity and oh, making things God. make sense. I remember sense. that. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that statement and going, but no. Although I guess I guess that in a certain from a certain point of view, like Obi-Wan said, it's true that they do often do these things, making things make sense. Well, yeah, if you get the right comic book guy, Jim Kruger was obviously not the right guy. <laughs> no, but see, this this is what happens in comics. It's inevitable at some point someone comes along, throws out everything that's been done, and it's advertised as a spiffy reboot. And that's what happened here. My favorite thing is that Vogel did get a consultant credit for the writing of Shaolin Monks. So I have to wonder what the fuck he actually did. <laughs> I don't... Ugh. Oh my god. The implications of that are terrible. I, somebody dropped like a hundred page script on his desk and he's like, I'm busy working on Deception. Uh, tell him it's fine. And <laughs> pushed it away. <laughs> that had to have been it. I can't picture Vogel having gone through all this and, and, and having okayed it. Maybe they really just just didn't think anyone would have cared that much. I mean, this is the same guy who, after Armageddon released with no bios, went to the trouble of writing some himself and putting them on the website. Which was a really so nice obviously gesture. he does sometimes care. Yeah, it was it was really good of him. So that's Scorpion and Shaolin Monks. Um, I do want to mention, actually, um, Scorpion's... So Scorpion has two costumes in Shaolin Monks, one in the opening cutscene... And one in the actual in-game graphics. Yeah. And it's basically the difference between his regular all-yellow outfit and his uh, ultimate MK3 outfit, which is mostly black with the yellow squares. And this game's interpretation of his UMK3 outfit is, I think, maybe my favorite Scorpion costume, period? Hmm. I can definitely see that. Because the way they made it look like the squares don't look like these... Uh, weird rubber pads that exist for no reason the way they do in the original game it's he's wearing he's wearing a black vest with yellow trim and the squares are like spikes they're like big square armor plates which sounds over designed but it's kind of not no they actually they go really well with the rest of his outfit with like the heavy metal look he has where he's got like spiked belts on his wrists and stuff like that 
it looks pretty metal, but not in the try-hard kind of way. No, I rather it's, like actually, it. it's actually a really good... I wish that's what they would do in the games when they bring Ultimate MK3 outfit back, because I hate the base UMK3 ninja costume. <laughs> it just looks so nonsensical. It's like... We mentioned this on the prior episode. It does look more like a kind of... It's kind of like some kind of weird off-brand superhero. It's a supervillain outfit, and it's a supervillain outfit which is designed for a squad of, like, faceless corporate troopers or something like that. It's so It's, weird, it's the kind though. of thing that I can see people like Rain and Ermac wearing around Shao Kahn's war conference table. It doesn't work for Scorpion. And yet, like we said last time, somehow it became associated with him the most. Yeah, it's it's... He owns that outfit more than anybody else does for some reason. Well, I know what the reason is. It's because it's he's the one who keeps bringing it back. He wore it in MK4. He wore it in Deception. True. He wears it in Shaolin Monks. The closest, I would say, to somebody other than Scorpion bringing it back is uh, Smoke's MK9 primary is yeah. kind of inspired by it. I was actually about to say just that. And it works on him, actually, kind of. It's all right. I'm a rather big fan I th of Smoke. I think it's overdone in 9 on Smoke. I'm not a hundred percent down with either of his costumes, but I do like them. They each have little nitpicky flaws. But let's focus. Scorpion. Yeah. MK9. Right. So yes, this brings us to the reboot. This is, for me, where I start finding Scorpion actually kind of interesting. Ah. Uh, I know, I know. It, it comes with a certain Like, if you said MKX caveat. was where you start to find him interesting, I a hundred percent get that. Well, th there's a specific thing in 9 that kind of really took me by surprise. Okay. And it was the entire deal that Raiden lays out for him. So That. Yeah. Okay, I can see why you'd like that, but that moment actually really super bothers me. Okay. Okay, so first of all, you have Raiden saying... Do this thing for me, and the thing is, don't kill Bihan, because I've had a vision that he's going to become Noob Saibot, and he'll be worse that way. Spare Bihan's life, and I will ask the Elder Gods to bring the Shirai Ryu back to life. So the first problem I have with this deal is that he's going to ask the Elder Gods. He's not even guaranteeing it's going to happen, he's just going to try. When do the Elder Gods ever do anything for anybody in this version of the timeline? I mean, you know that, and I know that. It just... What would have happened if Scorpion agreed to it and let Bihan live, and then Raiden went to the Elder Gods and asked for this, and they said no? What then? You have an angry Scorpion, as usual. You know what? That might have been an interesting thing to do. The payoff for me, though, is the fact that he was willing to consider the steal... And the way that Raiden phrased it was obvious. It's like, I will ask the Elder Gods, and it yeah. wasn't a guarantee, but it was the fact that Scorpion still agreed to it. And that's that fine. The, what? That, that for the first time, I was like, Jesus, the guy's actually got kind of a mind, no offense, and he can look at things rationally, and if it's for the greater good, he'll put the quest for vengeance aside. And that was a huge character moment for me. I, I can see that. Again, I never, I never really got... To the point where I started thinking of Scorpion as an idiot or having a one-track mind like you did. It's it's not that I think 
stupid. That's more of a fault of, like, the game's plotting necessitating Quan Chi to go, this guy killed your family and clan. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, the writing in Shaolin Monks and Armageddon, especially Armageddon, does make him look like an idiot. Yes. But to me, that was always out of character for Scorpion. Like, I disliked those moments specifically because I saw Scorpion as better than that. We talked about that last time, actually, and yeah. I figured... I saw him as being a little bit more justified in the anger, as he came to understand that the other gods are dicks. It wasn't necessarily that I thought he was stupid, it's that he always came across as a really one-note to me. And that, to me, that moment of saying, alright, I won't kill him if you can make this happen, was just not something I ever expected to see. Right, well, again, for me, the real Scorpion is MK2 and 3. That's always how I felt, but... Okay. So, the other thing that bothers me about Raiden cutting this deal, there is a cosmic sanctity or balance to life and death. And and part of it is because I firmly believe that because Scorpion's wife and son were innocents, they're in heaven, which is better than Earth. <laughs> so, the idea of bringing a whole bunch of people back to life of the gods doing this as a small favor, it really kind of seems immoral to me. Now, like, something is off about it. Like, that's not how the universe is supposed to work. Understandable. And to be really fair about it, they probably overlooked the fact that his wife and son were most likely in a better place. But Johnny Cage got tired of heaven. I feel like what would have made more... Like, I'm not saying the idea of Raiden trying to talk Scorpion out of killing Bihan and offering him something at all is a bad one. I like the premise of the scene. I just wish that what he had offered him was maybe you get to go to heaven and be with your wife and kid again. Not bring them all back to life. You know what life is? It's... It's pain and suffering, and then they get to die again. <laughs> well, that is one way of looking at it. But, you know, Johnny came and he went, and he came back again. Yeah, Johnny's a good guy. That's the other thing. Like, the Shirai Ryu are all in hell because they were murderers. Yeah. It's not quite as sanctified, I don't think, as you're making it seem. The portals between life, death, outworld, the netherrealm, hell, heaven... They're like revolving doors in the MK universe, and people just yeah, come and go all the time. I don't time. like that. I don't, I don't want them to write it that way on purpose. Like, at least pretend to try, you know? I think it's, like, kind of inevitable. I don't think that the Elder... I mean, sure, the Elder Gods probably would have said no because they're dicks, but, I mean, I didn't see them giving a shit when Shang Tsung opened a soul NATO and began eating things straight out of heaven. They yeah. didn't care. They did not care. It's quite possible that, like, they've been like, sure, do it, whatever. At the same time, they didn't stop Raiden from going after the Deadly Alliance. <laughs> I just don't think the Elder Gods do much except for stay on the couch and watch, like... I just... I wish... Orphan okay, Black this, reruns, this I don't know. This scene by itself is not the problem. The problem is this scene combined with several other scenes in the same game add up to create an image of Raiden who has yeah. the morality of Captain Janeway. Like, it's just whatever's convenient. Right and wrong is whatever I need it to be at the moment. 
Oh, I think that we've gone into great detail about why MK9 Raiden was terrible. If this was the only scene, I'd be like, okay, he's trying to do a good thing, I get that. But when it's this scene, plus all the arguing with Liu Kang, plus trying to sell his own friends to the hell, it's... Yeah. This Raiden is a psychopath. I'll defend a lot of things about MK9. I look for the good way where I can find it. I'm foolishly optimistic like that, but I can't defend much of what MK9 Raiden does. It was very bad writing, worse than anyone. It's the worst example of character assassination in the entire franchise. People tried to defend him by saying he was desperate and he was in a situation where he was doing what he thought needed to be done to save the world. If you have to sell your friends to the devil to save the world, then the world was not worth saving, is what I believe. You know... Your morals are more important. If you're, if you're a true hero, you will stand up for what you believe in. You won't compromise. And they use that, that cop-out excuse that's like, oh, they'd be okay with it. They'd do anything to save Earth, and da 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 And I'm like, bullshit. You don't get to make that choice. Yeah, no, you can't just take their free will from them. Like, if you if Raiden had asked them first, then fine. But he doesn't. He just he doesn't. doesn't. He doesn't. The hizzle-dizzle, the drizzle. Sorry. I'm very upset. <laughs> it gets to me, too. But nothing about that made sense. Nightwolf being there and being one of the Revenants made no goddamn sense. Yeah, that's not supposed to be possible. Uh, you know this, I know this. It was just really shoddily done. It, I, it seems I, very much like there are many games, many, many games that repeat the phrase that like only tainted souls, only evil people can exist in the nether realm. The good cannot go there. The pure will be kicked out. And it seems like that's just not canon anymore in MK9 and X. And I don't understand why you'd retcon out something that's repeated so many times. Convenience's sake. But uh, we're getting off of Scorpion's track again. Right. So, he accepts the deal. As we know, he actually holds off on killing him. And then, Tennis Ball McFuckface shows up. Yeah, yeah. Quan Chi walks in to be like, hey, remember why you were mad in the first place? <laughs> Let me paint you a literal picture with shadow puppets and, and absolutely everything. What I love about that little animated show he puts on for him is that Sub-Zero's wearing the wrong costume. <laughs> He's probably not going to notice. He's I don't too think... Hypnotized. And this is... This is a thing that kind of bugs me because they do it in the arcade endings too. They constantly put people in their primary costumes even though that's not what they should be wearing for the context of that scene. It's like there's no communication between the concept artists who draw these these animated scenes that's probably and everybody exactly else who's making the game. Oh yeah. Because, like, like in, in Liu Kang's MKX ending, which is basically the canon story of how after Shinnok is defeated, Liu Kang becomes the king of hell. Liu is drawn in his old fit in that thing. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, whoops! Not the first time it's happened. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck was up with Noob Smoke and MKD. I think we've all learned to just accept that the alternate is really the primary and not the other way around. It's frustrating we'll we'll be talking about this next episode but i really really hate noob cybot with pink skin <laughs> i god i hate it <laughs> it was so bizarre all right it's so yeah covered in scorpions yes 
get them off me. So, Scorpion in MK9, I mean, look, some of the best scenes in MK9 are from Scorpion's chapter, the where he kills Bihan, and then he shows back up in the throne room and holds up the burnt Yeah, skull. he was just all silent, it's like, it's done. That is actually some really, really well done um cinematography and there was the gravitas to the fact that, that there's no sound when the skull breaks across the ground. It was mesmerizing. And then he just he has nothing to say. He just screams and teleports back to hell. That's actually pretty much perfect. To hell with the Shira Ryu. No. To hell with you! And he drags him down before they. I do. Fight. I do really like the dialogue there. It was um, good. It's it's actually pretty well done. Ideally, I think that that should have been the last of Scorpion that we saw, but he pops up again here and there. Yeah, yeah, he shows up again so that him and Quan Chi can fight Liu Kang. Which endurance round? I mean, yes, endurance rounds existed, but Quan Chi shouldn't be there at all. Represents you know. the Nether Realm. And this is a tournament between Earth and Outworld. And we know it's still canon to Bo Rai Cho's story that what realm you're from matters in the tournament. Quan Shi should not be permitted to compete. Also, it's just wrong. It's just like doubting in your gut wrong to be watching a remake of MK1 and see Quan Shi standing next to Shang's throne. It's just gross. Yeah. It feels weird. Maybe he had a work visa? It's I don't just know, man. not I got right, nothing. man. He's not supposed to be there. It's true. I, I can't disagree with that. And I can make excuses for a lot of people. I don't care much that, like, Nightwolf and Cyrax and Sector are all around. Barack and Shiva, I'll even give a pass. But Shiva bugs me too, but only because she shows up before Goro. It's, it's a matter of placement, you know? I yeah. don't mind the notion that, like... We get we, that we get to Outworld and we see what we're really dealing with in the form of lizard men and silver toothed fiends and people with four arms. It's just the whole the whole reason for remaking or rebooting whatever you want to call it, the original trilogy, was to trade on these warm fuzzy feelings of nostalgia that people have. You can't design your game to do that and then put in these moments that just ruin that feeling. Quan Chi standing at, in the courtyard during MK1, it's just, it's an emotional wrong. It's a deep down inside. It's not logic or reason. It's just, it feels bad. Not disagreeing. But we're kind of meandering again. Yeah. But, but, Quan Chi's presence there is so central to the way they wrote Scorpion in MK9, because every time Scorpion shows up, he's basically being led like a dog on a leash by Quan Chi. There are very few Scorpion scenes in MK9 that Quan Chi is not also in. And this this prevents them from doing the MK2 and 3 storyline, where Scorpion chooses to spare Kwai Liang and then become his protector because he wants to redeem himself and go to heaven. I was so looking forward to seeing all that in action. Yeah, there's there's no moment in MK9 where Scorpion switches sides to the good guys, and there's no moment where him and Sub-Zero get to fight on the same side. 
he literally just kind of shows up to MK2 because Sub-Zero asks to fight him, and then he fucks off. And then he's he disappears from the game once Noob Saibot starts showing up, because basically, once Quan Chi has Noob, he doesn't need Scorpion anymore. Doesn't show back up until after Noob dies. Can't have any logical way to make the two meet and discuss things. Yeah, there's, there's not even, like... An interaction between them. And this is... I think we mentioned it last episode. There's no point in any game ever where Scorpion actually meets Noob Saibot. Nope. And And that's weird. That, to me, the specific way that they outline things, to me, it feels very intentional to keep them separate. You know, to not have to look under that rock and go on a whole different tangent. We don't even say to each other, because the only game that has the talky intros is X, and Noob's not in it. Maybe this time. We can hope. Hopefully. After the MK1 portion of the period, he just sort of shows up here and there. And it's like, more often than not, done to show us that he's basically working as Quan Chi's bodyguard or right-hand guy. From the moment he kills Bihan on, he has no more mission in life. So he's just, well, I made a deal to work for Quan Chi, so now I work for Quan Chi, the end. And that's... It's so reductive of the potential, like, what Scorpion could be. And obviously they redeem a lot of that in X, but we're not there yet. So what I want to talk about is it's just it's just the fact that after he fights uh, Kwai Liang in the MK2 tournament, he doesn't show back up until Raiden goes to the Nether Realm to talk to Quan Chi. And at this point, Noob Saibot is dead, so Scorpion's got his job back basically is what it is. And and it's just Raiden shows up in hell and he's like, "Oh god, the elder gods wouldn't help me. Maybe maybe the only way to defeat Shao Kahn is if heaven won't help, maybe hell will." So Raiden goes down there and he runs into Scorpion and he's like, "Scorpion's a receptionist in this scene." Raiden's just like at the fucking reception desk. Make me an appointment. I want to see your boss. <laughs> <laughs> He's out of the office right now! And so Raiden fights Scorpion, and then Quan Chi shows up, and that's it for Scorpion in this entire fucking game. His arcade ending doesn't make much yeah, sense. No, I actually, I actually like his arcade ending. Do you really? I do. Uh, let, me, let me explain something. So I wish... I wish this was the canon way he found out Quan Chi killed his family. So, for those who don't know, in his arcade ending in MK9, Scorpion um, decides to visit the Shirai Ryu village. Like, the ruins. It's all burnt down. They all died before MK1. Everybody knows. So he goes back to visit in, like, nostalgia or to mourn or whatever, and the ghosts of his clan are haunting the village. And you can see one is definitely his wife's ghost because she has a red flower in her hair. Like, she wears... In the little animation and story mode where Sub-Zero kills her. That Quan Chi showed him. We we talked about last episode how dumb it is that Quan Chi just admits to it. Like, he wasn't even asked. He just, in MK4, in the endings, he just walks in the room and he's like, Ha ha, it was me all along, sucker. Because that's what stupid supervillains do. Yes. When they get cocky and overconfident. I much prefer it on his own from someone who knows. Someone he can trust. And as much as I love the tea ceremony scene in MKX, 
where they basically do what I'm asking for. They have some an, a third party tell Scorpion that Quan Chi did it in a believable way, and he accepts it and knows what to do now. I kind of think it's thematically better or more interesting, or at least it would have been if this is how MK4 went. I think if you had the two different timelines and it went this way in MK4, and then we still had the tea ceremony in X, that would be cool. I just wish, like, the whole visiting his village and the ghosts are there and they tell him the truth is a really uh, interesting way to do it. And I wish that had been what happened in MK4. Because, for one thing, there's there's no scene in canon where he actually does go back to the village. Like, we don't even know if the bodies were ever buried or if it's just skeletons lying on the dirt still. <laughs> I'm willing to bet someone came across a mass grave site and went, yeah, let's do something about this. This smells very bad. I think for for his, like, emotional state, like, I would like to see a scene where Scorpion goes back to the village to pay his respect. And we've never got, gotten one in canon, and this ending is kind of it. Going to the site where it all happened feels like kind of a thing that Quan Chi wouldn't ever allow to happen. You know? I mean, that's that's the thing for me, is that it bothers me that MK9 wants us to think Scorpion can't do things unless Quan Chi lets him. Because in the old timeline, their relationship didn't work that way. Like, yes, Quan Chi gave him the powers of a specter and set him loose, but Scorpion still had free will, and it was basically more like, we have a mutual enemy, go do what you do. He wasn't hands-on about it, and I liked that better. Him being open to Raiden's idea kind of shows us that to me. I mean, sure, but it's just the fact that everywhere he goes, Quan Chi is there too. And the, like, acting is his receptionist. And and it's like, what what was Scorpion's motivation for participating in the invasion during, like, Johnny's chapter of MKX? Like, why is Scorpion... What's he in it for? At this point, he's just following orders. He's like, well, I made a deal, so now I'm stuck. The way that they streamlined things in story mode just wouldn't leave room for that kind of little side chapter. That's the unfortunate thing. It's just, there's too much there to actually realistically do in like a four or five hour story mode. Sure, but the fact that we're calling it streamlining, like, we're looking at it the same way we're looking at, like in the MK movie where Scorpion and Sub-Zero basically just became henchmen for Shang because, because screen time. See, that bothered me, but I accepted it was because screen time. I knew right away when I was in that theater, I'm like, they would have to do a whole movie about these two. It's fine. I'm just glad to see them here. I mean, my problem with that always was that the Mortal Kombat movie is only an hour and a half long. (laughs) You could totally add Scorpion and Sub-Zero content and make it a full two-hour movie. And and I just, like, philosophically, I've always felt that hour and a half movies are a ripoff. I think the minimum for a motion picture should be two hours. I feel like two hours wouldn't really be enough, you know? Especially with all that we've got today. It's it's no longer just two people that hate each other. It's like, there, there's cycles of violence going on, and there's a sorcerer running around. I mean, for, for MK1, all you really need is at least one scene where Scorpion explains why he hates Sub-Zero, and then the two of them fighting in the tournament. That's really it. They also had to set up enemies for, like, the main heroes to fight. Without getting them to actually fight each other. I don't know. I, w- I would have liked to see more people fighting each other. 
in that movie, like the way a, a real tournament bracket works, like if Lou and Johnny had had to fight to determine who gets to face Goro. See, I also feel like if you'd actually been accurate to the game's story in the first movie, people would have gone like, so there's this thing where like there's this character who's angry that this blue ninja killed his family, and then he kills him, and then he just disappears from the movie. It's like, it's too much to focus on. Well, no, Scorpion could stick around and still fight Johnny and be eliminated. Eh, I just, and, and honestly, like, the Lou versus Sub-Zero fight isn't very good anyway. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not the mo- it's not the best choreographed one. I mean, it's it's certainly not as bad cool. as Sonya versus Kano, but it's one of the weaker fights in the film. We could have gotten Ninja versus Ninja instead, and it would have been more exciting, I think. Yeah, about Scorpion's 9 ending... It's nice, but I don't know. Is is that a thing that spirits of the slain can do? Immobilize Quan Chi? Well, we don't know really. I mean, ghosts are telekinetic, right? That's kind of their thing. Possessing people and moving stuff with poltergeist powers. I mean, we don't we don't really know what ghosts can do in Mortal Kombat because the only character who's been a ghost is Liu Kang, and what he could do in Deception was give people superpowers by inspiring them and then like break mind control by shooting beams out of his eyes. (laughs) There's just like a lot about the ending specifically here that bothers me. Like the idea tries to set up as nice, but it's also kind of this like MK one thing where it's like, here's his story concluded and it's nice to look at, but like, I don't need the moment where the ghosts swarm Quan Chi and hold him in place. So Scorpion can toasty him. I just, I really like the idea of Scorpion going back to the village to pay his respects, and the ghosts of the Fallen are there, and they're like, Quan Chi is the one who killed us. It wasn't Sub-Zero. I think the thing is, I look at this and I'm like, why isn't this happening anyway? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like... You know, it bothers me because it makes sense, but it also leaves them with nowhere else to go. Same place he always ends up, wanting revenge on Quan Chi. Yeah, I, see. I guess that didn't stop him from showing up in Deadly Alliance, no, did it? Yeah, exactly. The thing is, um, that's the only moment in MK9 where they admit Quan Chi's the one who did it. Like, without that scene, you could actually retcon it and say Sub-Zero did kill them. You know, that's actually really true. People, A lot of people out there probably went through that entire story mode believing Quan Chi was sincerely trying to help them. When, I, remember, I remember when... When MK9 was coming out, when we were in, like, the uh, the pre-release period, getting updates on the internet, waiting for the game, and Scorpion's bio came out, and it said Sub-Zero killed his family and clan, there were, there were people who were going, are they retconning it? Did Quan Chi not do it? And I'm like, dude, they're just writing it this way because he yeah. hasn't found out yet. <laughs> Chill. It's not a retcon yet. <laughs> When you're retelling the early games, you have to pretend that it wasn't Quan Chi for at least a little bit, because Scorpion doesn't know the truth yet. It's context, you know? It's like time and place. So now, this brings us to Mortal Kombat X. Indeed. Where everything turned into rainbows. (laughs) It did turn out better than expected. Everything went better than expected, it really did. Especially for Hanzo. So there, there is there is an attitude uh, that is prevalent of X is really, to a lot of people, the game that made Scorpion more dimensional. 
But always, to me, it was the game that finally brought him back to the way he was in 2 and 3. <laughs> I gotta say, that's kind of the way that I look at it, in terms of him actually gaining more depth and agency as a person, becoming interesting, showing us that there was more there. I mean, it's funny, because his primary role there is still to take vengeance, the way it usually is. But, you know, you find out so much about him, and the things he does after coming back to life, and... Yeah, he's... I mean, I have to admit... The problem with those old games, and we've said it before, is that they don't have cutscenes. So yeah. there is a nuance missing. The characters are not really fleshed out the way they would be if they had dialogue. And MKX, they, you know, they speak. They have dialogue. There are scenes. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the difference is we never really had the opportunity to see much of him or the things he could do or say. And so 9 and X really went a long way towards actualizing him as an interesting character for me. And I hope 11 continues to do the same. Yeah. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is we might get to see two Scorpions in 11. Oh, yes. And I really hope the old timeline one is not depicted as one-note anger man like he was in MK9. I guess we'll see where they pluck him from. There's really no way to to guess right now. It's going to be interesting. But but anyway, so MKX, I guess you got to start at the beginning. Because Johnny Cage's chapter is a flashback anyway. Yep. Um, so it's basically, after MK9, Shinnok takes his turn at invading. And Scorpion is there. And, and like I said, there's really no motive for him to be on the bad guy team other than he agreed to work for Quan Chi so now that's what he does he's a glorified revenant now basically he's doing the same thing that they're all doing yeah but it's weird because the thing about the revenants that defines them is they're all kind of under a kind of mind control they're all corrupted versions of themselves like none of them are really in character Scorpion and Noob Saibot were always their true selves to a certain degree. And and Noob Saibot is obviously not in this game, but Scorpion is. And also, like, the fact that he's a guy who doesn't have gray skin and glowing yellow veins. <laughs> I mean, he stands out from the rest of these guys in a lot of ways. So I just mean in terms of, like, his job description, you know? He's yeah, doing the same thing that they are. The, it seems to be that he feels he's in debt to Quan Chi because Quan Chi helped him get his revenge, him not knowing at this point that he didn't. Yeah, he's still going in blind. He's got yeah, absolutely he, he no He still clue. thinks that, like, killing Sub-Zero was what he was supposed to do, and he did it, so now the, the repayment for that is working for the guy who gave him the power to do that. It's interesting that him and Kwai Liang are kind of fighting together against Johnny Cage. There's no interaction, really, to speak of between the two of them. Yeah, they don't talk to each other which is a little weird, but they're all business. I guess that makes sense. It's just, the weird thing is, like, the fact that they're pushing Johnny so hard for SummerSlam that they're letting him fight Scorpion and Sub-Zero at the same time and win. I'm not complaining too much. I mean, he had help from Kenshi, and that fight, I mean, he got knocked out of a helicopter and lived, so... <laughs> it's not as bad to my mind as, like, someone taking on... Goro and Kintaro and walking away unscathed. There's also that weird moment where Sub-Zero freezes him and he can still kind of move. 
just not very well. Those Netherrealm powers, man, they ain't all up to speed. Yeah, it, could it be. really seems like the Revenants are weaker than they were when they were alive. Kind of sluggish on the reflexes. That is not a very useful power upgrade if it's actually a downgrade. <laughs> no, but uh, on the fact that Kwai and Hanzo don't talk to each other at all during that scene, like, we know that they can, because when uh, they're ambushing the rest of the Revenants uh, and sneaking up on, like, Smoke and Jax, you can see Smoke and Jax talking to each other. Yeah, they're, like, having this little conversation about how they're waiting for the others to get back yeah. soon. So, like, this, to me, is just them really sidestepping the issue of having to deal with the ongoing Scorpion and Sub-Zero story, much in the way that the first movie did, and much in yeah. the way that MK9 did, by having Noob conveniently out of the picture. I don't know, I just, I just feel like what makes drama go is when two characters have baggage between each other, and then you address it and when you skip over the baggage you're basically going we don't want the drama right now we're just trying to get to another thing and that's sort of I mean again there's a limit to screen time and stuff this is Johnny Cage's chapter it has to be about what he's doing and they do get plenty of baggage off their chests afterwards but right they now do. they just don't have a reason to talk to each other they do like I'm not I'm not complaining too much it's just I don't know it's odd I guess the reason it doesn't really bother me is because in this timeline, these two don't really know each other. Like, Scorpion and Kwai Liang interacted so briefly in MK9, and Scorpion's entire part of that interaction was basically, I don't know who the fuck you are, leave me alone. <laughs> Aren't you the guy that killed my brother? Aren't you the guy that spared the pathetic lizard man? Like, we kind of we kind of skimmed over that, but like, in MK9, Scorpion's not even really at the tournament. Until Sub-Zero asks to fight him. And so and so Quan Chi summons him to fight Kwai Liang. And he immediately goes, you're not Sub-Zero. The fuck is this? <laughs> like, he doesn't have to watch him spare Reptile. He just... I mean, he was there. He knows Bihan's dead. <laughs> that kind of lines up with the original story where it's like, I killed the guy. What's he doing back? You're not him. No, but just, like, the immediate, who the fuck are you? You're not him. Like, it almost, it it makes sense, but it also kind of feels like, go fuck yourself, MK2 storyline. Eh, uh, in part. Not not all the way. I don't know. It's just, it's just part of the little things that add up to it's, bugging me. Like, it sets it up a Quietly little bit, but. Revenge in the first place. It just doesn't follow through, you know? It doesn't go yeah. all the way. It gives us a taste, but. That's all that the storyline feels that it's we just, need to see. Because we don't get the, because we don't get the vowing to protect him part, which yeah. is really the crux of Scorpion as a character for me. Like everything I've ever liked about him really comes back to that. Me too, and a lot of it anyway. And MKX made up for some of that, but it's still. I mean, it gives them their fifteen I, I still minutes. Remember you know? how I felt before MKX existed, and I have to live with that emotion. <laughs> It's okay, man. They can't hurt you that badly anymore. I doubt anything can. Oh, they can always find new ways. You see, the fact that they give them their 15 minutes and let them have their little tea party and, you know, Frost out of all people winds up being the thing that almost sets everything back off but I mean, smooths it I mean, over. We'll get to the tea party in a moment, actually, because we should we should get back to on track. Um, see? We have so much to say. Yeah. 
I mean, Scorpion does factor in a lot in MKX. He's important. One of the major characters, which is kind of impressive considering he's not one of Cassie's team. <laughs> and you'll note that no one complains about his role in the story at all. No, and I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. Scorpion's chapter is the best part of MKX story mode. Like, no contest. Like, it's one of the only parts that actually feels like a Mortal Kombat story. Like, because all of the rest is... Defenders of the Realm starring Cassie's team. You know, people have been saying it for years and years and years, but whenever the story focuses on the special forces, it just suffers. It's a combination of the fact that it's focusing on the special forces, and the fact that it's focusing on new characters, and the fact that these new characters are all the children of older characters. It's it's so fanfiction-y. Just kind of ground yourselves a little bit and get back to the roots of martial arts. Like, there's a reason, there's a reason that, like, Bo Wright Cho... Combat was always about the monks and the ninjas. Out of all the MK Deadly Alliance characters, Bo Wright Cho and Kenshi survived, grew reputation, credibility, moved forward, and I firmly believe that that's because they have their roots in the same kind of, like, 70s-esque martial arts cinema that so many of the original well, yeah. cast members did. Well, that's an origi- an interesting point. Kenshi is a member of the Special Forces, but we like him because he doesn't look or act like it. Like, he's a samurai. He's got that, like, blind guy from a 70s movie thing. And he... His story is that he wants revenge on Shang Tsung, who's an MK1 character. Like, Kenshi is so deeply tied into the roots of what Mortal Kombat is. He's a martial arts guy who's connected to an MK1 classic in a way that isn't having a kid. So Kenshi immediately worked as a new character because he felt like he blended in with all the rest of them. And look back to the comic book roots of MK in terms of G.I. Joe. It's the ninjas and the assassins. The ones that have this, like, whole mythology around them. is the main character of G.I. Joe for a lot of people. Nobody gives a fuck about Duke and Scarlet. It's about the cycles of revenge and Zartan and Storm Shadow and Firefly and, and Cobra Commander. People who kill each other and make it personal. And, you know, being ninjas in a clan. We're not here for the machine guns part of G.I. Joe. No one is. We're diverging. We again. are. We're diverging again. We are. I just... Before we get back to Scorpion, I would like to say I wonder if MKX as a concept would have been more acceptable to me if Jin was the main character instead of Cassie just because he's White Lotus. You know what? It very well might have for me. I think I think that might have helped at the very least. I know a lot of people don't like Jin, but I feel like you need to have one of the monks as a main character in a Mortal Kombat story. It's... Out of all four of the kids, he's actually my favorite one. A little bit overarmed, but... I find him the most interesting. I think there's some, like, racial stuff that bothers me about it, too. The fact that, like, they killed off all the Asian guys and made Johnny and his daughter the white people the main oh, characters Oh, Jesus. Now. Ouch. I don't know. Like, I, I might be reading too much Maybe. into it, but that feels like something you would do to sell it easier to a Hollywood studio. Because they'll go, nobody's gonna go see a movie if the main character's an Asian guy. You've got a horrible, frightening point there, and I'd like to believe it's off-base. But there's some logic behind it. Eesh. I don't know. It it bothers me. Um. Anyway, Scorpion. <laughs> yes. 
Speaking of Asian guys who should be main characters. <laughs> See, that's what brought us around to this whole thing in the first place. He's a secondary main character, and we love his role in this. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, that's, that's kind of the thing about Scorpion and Sub-Zero in every game, is they're always the B-plot. I I would kind of like to see just one time Scorpion and Sub-Zero be the guy who defeat the end boss. Would be nice. Wouldn't complain. Like, as a team, the two of them get together, and they're the ones who beat whoever. Maybe Eleven will be the time. It would have been nice if that was what any of the games where Quan Chi is the villain. How they ended. Because Scorpion and Sub-Zero have the most um, reason to hate Quan Chi. Insane it for years. We need a Mortal Kombat Lin Kuei game. Or Shira Ryu game, or something. Yeah, or like that... that The aborted Fire and Ice sequel to Shaolin Monks. So, yes. Yeah, so Scorpion... It's interesting. Scorpion is not shown a lot in the first half of story mode. It's it's all the um, the flashbacks to the MK4-ish stuff. And we do we do see him with Sub-Zero and Jax become unrevenanted. That scene actually kind of bothered me initially. I was like, yeah, why would it's... the same magic backwards spell that works on the Revenants work on Scorpion? Yeah, it's weird, because, like, we see... Like, even visually, it looks different. Like, when it happens to Sub-Zero and Jax, we see the pale skin and the yellow veins peel away, and they just look human again. And when it happens to Scorpion, there's, like, this re- the same red mist peeling off of him, but his skin is exactly the same. The only difference you notice is if you look real close, his eyes go from white to having pupils. So they acknowledge that there is still a difference, and it's not the same for everyone. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, from a story perspective, apparently Hanzo still has his Hellfire powers. Yes, that's something I want to get into when we start that's, to... Well, there's, that's wishy-washy. Technically, the ninjutsu variation is supposed to be living Hanzo. And in that variation, he does an absolute minimum of Spectre stuff. It's mostly just fighting with the swords. But he still has the teleport punch, right? Like I said, that's still ninjutsu-based. Well, I continue to believe it's a ghost thing, especially because there are fire effects on it in the 3D game. Eh, I'm just I'm saying, it's explainable. It's fair enough. It's whatever. You can read it either way. I prefer to think of it as a ghost power. But he still he has universal animations, uh, wind pose stuff, where he will teleport to hell out of a flaming hole in the ground. And stuff that's even the ninjutsu variation still does it. And his fatalities still work in the ninjutsu variation. You can still do the toasting. I don't think I've actually ever sat down with, like, base Hanzo and had him remove his face. I've got to go actually see that in action. <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't know if I ever have either. I know he can. I just don't remember seeing him holding. You, you his know face. what the truth is? <laughs> we both subconsciously avoided it because it looked wrong. That's the truth. Yeah, it is. It's weird. Okay, so the reason we kind of know he kept his powers is because he uses them in the comic, and he's definitely using them in the MK11 trailer. Like that trailer opens with him doing a a flaming fire-covered teleport punchy thing to Scor- to Raiden, even though that's supposed to be this timeline's Hanzo. 
as much as I do enjoy the notion of like having most of his powers based in ninjutsu and keeping the fire effects to a minimum, I'm not totally naive about this. He's never going to lose that. It's fire and ice going forward. I I prefer him keeping the powers because it does illustrate how he was always different from the revenants, and that's yeah, that's absolutely fine. When he came back, Raiden's magic brought him back yeah. differently. Anyway. I just think it's interesting how they stage it because once he comes back to life, uh, the next time we see him is training Takeda, and it's the first time we see his unmasked costume, and we don't see it right away. Like the way the way the scene is staged is Takeda is uh, walking through the abandoned city, and I don't remember if you hear him shout "Get over here" or not, but the spear stabs into a wall, and he looks surprised. And then they start fighting each other. And you're like, if you don't know already that Takeda's Scorpion student, you might think that this is a real fight and not a training exercise. If you went into story mode having not looked at the costumes, you don't know what Scorpion looks like unmasked yet, and this is the first time you see it. For a little bit of time there, the first time we saw Takeda, I was like, did, did Scorpion have a kid? I'm not sure about this. Are they going to pull some shit where, like, Kenshi told him he was his dad? And it's really, actually, Scorpion? I mean, I'm glad that didn't turn out to be the case. I think Takeda has the most interesting backstory of any of the kids, because he takes after Scorpion more than he takes after his own dad, and that's really kind of the problem with all the kids, is they're too much like the characters they're spawned off of. Takeda, Takeda feels the most like an original character. I would give Jin the benefit of that a little bit, but not to the extent that Takeda is. Jin would be the most original if he didn't have that stupid chakram variation. Too many weapons going on at the same time. Yeah. It's also a problem I have with Takeda. Yeah, Takeda has it's too simplicity. much stuff. I agree. I, I, don't think, I don't think he should have a teleport punch. And I don't think he should have those fucking lightsabers. It's like, be Omega Red, or like, be Cyrax's abandoned sword variation. Just like, yeah, honestly, the whips, the whips by themselves are so much. They are enough for a whole fighting style. You don't need any of his other gadgetry. And to Takeda's credit, unlike Cassie and Jackie, and to some degree Kung Jin, he feels most unique, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He feels he feels the most like his own character and not pieces of the characters he's made from, which is how you develop something interesting and original. Yeah. So I think I think Takeda is the most uh, successful of the four kids designs. And I think that I think that the idea of uh bringing Scorpion back to life and having him uh build a new clan of Shirai Ryu and giving him his own student, his own version of Frost in a way. Yep. I think that really does add a lot to the character. And I think... I think God, absolutely. MKX Scorpion, I can see why so many people look at it as the most three-dimensional version of Scorpion. He really does okay. have uh, more attached to him, more going for him, more to work with more characters to play off of, more nuanced emotions to play with by having all these allies and being um, just 
an acknowledged good guy, a member of the Earthrealm Fighters. Like, he's friends with Kenshi, and the Special Forces kind of count him as an ally. And He needed more of his own supporting cast. Yeah. Apart from Sub-Zero and Quan Chi, he really never had that much of anything, you know? No, he was always, he was always just kind of connected to Sub-Zero. Like, Sub-Zero is a bigger character. He, he has the entirety of the Lin Kuei, and then he also has Scorpion. And Scorpion only has Sub-Zero and Quan Chi. But now, now he has a whole world of his own. You're basically describing exactly how I felt here, because that entire scene you mentioned with, like, the spear and learning that he'd actually set up his own clan, started it up again, this is it. They're finally, like, giving this guy a fresh start. It's perfectly paralleling the course Sub-Zero went down, which thematically makes a lot of sense. I was thrilled. I think the grin actually hurt my face. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and, and this is why I always say that I really wish Frost had been on Cassie's team, because the parallels between uh, Sub-Zero rebuilding the Lin Kuei as good guys and Scorpion coming back from the dead to rebuild the Shirai Ryu as good guys and then both having their own apprentices. But their apprentices are so different from each other. Like, Sub-Zero's attempt to teach somebody went bad and Frost is an asshole. Whereas Takeda is a good student. I want to see those two play off of each other so bad. Takeda and Frost would have amazing chemistry. There's room, definitely. Actually having Scorpion lecture Sub-Zero about the do's and don'ts of tutelage and being a Grandmaster (laughs) would be something to see. I just can't work with these kids. Help me, Hanzo. (laughs) Well, it's not not that Sub-Zero is like a bad teacher, it's just that Frost is such an asshole. <laughs> yes. No matter how good your sensei is, sometimes you just have bad apples. It's a kung fu trope. I think that's sort of... That relationship works because Frost is an asshole. Because yep. in some ways, she she should be reminding him of his own older brother. Oh, that'd be some nice ground to cover. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of Sub-Zero's lot in life, is he's always dealing with these assholes and trying to fix them and they don't want to be fixed <laughs> and the one steadfast friend he has he's probably left up for dead at this point oh. well I mean smoke doesn't even want to be called smoke anymore like no smoke is dead call me by my edgelord name that's a bit mean but honestly there's a minor point about that I want to bring up when we get to the tea party right I really like what they did with scorpion in this game Oh yes, and and I I totally agree that it's interesting the ways it parallels Sub Zero, especially since um, especially since they backed down so hard from changing Sub Zero. We're gonna not do his storyline from the old timeline, and we're gonna make him a robot. And then in the very next game, they went, okay, that was a bad idea. We're gonna do Deadly Alliance. <laughs> sometimes you just leave things on the cutting room floor when they're so, sometimes the way things were is the only way they work. There's an argument to be made that Sub-Zero, without his Deadly Alliance storyline, would not make any goddamn sense as a character. (laughs) I believe in the possibility of variation. I believe any character, no matter how good or poor their prior history, has any number of good stories in them as long as they find the right writer. I believe that some characters work with variation, and some characters have 
a first best destiny. And I think it's like one of the morals of the Star Trek movies was Captain Kirk, you never should have let them promote you. You belong in the captain's chair. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. And that's how I feel about Sub-Zero. He belongs as the Grandmaster. Not saying he doesn't, but I'm just saying I could buy a million different other ways to take him. But switching up Smoke and Sub-Zero's plot lines for the sake of shock factor, it ain't one of them. It just felt cheap. That was the problem with it. And we're not talking about Scorpion again, look at us. Yeah, that's we, we will get into all of this in the Sub-Zero episodes. Um... But Scorpion, I want to I wanna talk about, we should get to his chapter now. Yes. Because you want to talk about the Tea Party, and I have a lot of things to say about the scene that comes after the Tea Party. So, catharsis is like the word I use to describe that entire five minutes, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I know we've done, we've done almost a hundred episodes of the main show, and I bet on at least... 30 of them, the Tea Party has come up as almost all of our favorite scenes in MKX. I think that BC and Temp actually share this opinion too. Yeah, yeah Temp mentions it all the time. He yeah. adores the Tea Party just as much as we do. Felt like an end, a progression, a moving forward. Uh, we, there are people who, who love Scorpion and Sub-Zero who have been waiting to see these two yeah. actually acknowledge a truce or partnership. Any kind of friendship or mending of bridges in cutscene form since 1990 goddamn three. That's, that's the year MK2 came out. Now, I keep bringing up, I keep bringing up the moment Scorpion making the vow to protect him and how that probably led to them fighting side by side during MK3 and how I've always wanted to see that. When you've been living with this whole Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight each other, that's what they do, media advertising thing, for 25 years. And you know that the truth is they only fought like twice ever. Most of the time, they're on the same side. When are we actually going to get to see it? <laughs> to see them finally, like, just talk it out. And, and all of this, all of this is after we get the shock and the familiarity with a now living Hanzo with things in his life to look forward to, his own supporting cast. This was the cherry on top. You know? Oh yeah, this this scene drops near the end of the game as a flashback. So we've we've had we've already seen Sub-Zero is alive and is the Grandmaster again. We've seen Scorpion is alive and he's a Grandmaster now. We've seen how they came back from the dead. This scene drops after Scorpion in the uh, present day is attacking the special forces because they have Quan Chi in custody and he wants to kill Quan Chi. This is them showing how did Scorpion find out that Quan Chi was the one who killed his family. The only people who have any reason to be legitimately upset with this scene are Sector fans. <laughs> and even then, look, I am a Sector fan. Me too. But the thing about robots is you can rebuild them. 
I'm sitting here, I'm like, you know what? While it is kind of crappy that we never actually got an opportunity to have Sub-Zero go off and take care of business and get his clan back, because once again, there's only so much that you can realistically fit into yeah. a story cinematic mode of this size. I'm sitting there staring at Sector's separate head, and because of all that's going on around it, I ain't even mad. You know? If this is what yeah, it takes... I, I will admit that when the game first came out, I was annoyed a little bit that Sub-Zero's chapter in the game isn't really about Sub-Zero at all. It's basically about Cassie's team, and you just happen to play as Sub-Zero for four fights. I thought if Sub-Zero had to have a chapter, why couldn't it be a flashback to him retaking the clan from the Cyber Ninjas? Would have been nice. It would have. But... We got that story in the comic, so I'm kind of satisfied now. As am I. And again, as a Sector fan, it doesn't bother me if to see him dead because he's a robot. He's just going to come back through Triborg anyway. We all know it. I've always wanted to see, anyway, a version of Sector that was pure AI. I want to see him transcend the meat brain inside the Cyber Ninja and just be able to jump from robot body to robot body, just become pure robot. I think that is sort of where Sector's story inevitably has to go, because that character is the one of the four Lin Kuei who have been cyber ninjas. He's the only one who wanted it, who chose it, who likes it. So for him to become full machine eventually, I think, is inevitable. And you can't kill a machine you can break them and rebuild them <laughs> i'm in agreement with the caveat that he has to speak in the third person all the time like he did in deception's conquest mode <laughs> you want to bring pots for sector so sector can repair himself anyway setting wise i love how they set everything up with like sub-zero being the peacemaker and having him sit down and prepare like the cup of tea for him i so i'm not I'm not the biggest expert on um, Asian cultures. Is the tea ceremony a thing they have in China? Or do you think um, Sub-Zero is doing it because Hanzo is Japanese, so he's doing a Japanese thing to appeal to him? You know what? If it's the second one, I like it even more. Because I can't answer that for certain. I feel like it's a Japanese thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is. Like, maybe maybe China does have tea ceremonies and we're off. I hope it's a Japanese thing because that makes it even cooler that um, this is how far Sub-Zero is going with the Olive Branch. I'll do the research after the show and look it up, but God, that would be something, wouldn't it? Him yeah. actually making that effort? That would be a nice touch. Sub-Zero is the kind of guy who would do that, I think, because it's interesting. In a world where Liu Kang is an evil zombie, Sub-Zero is the nicest guy in the MK universe. He's always the guy that's bent over backwards for him and his, you know? Yeah. For everyone around him. He will literally go into hell to save his brother. Sometimes also his best friend, but usually not. <laughs> but yeah. So the fallout of all this, ultimately, is the truce. And like you said, it was just a moment that people have waited for for so long, because you can only carry this rivalry to a certain degree for so many years, you know? Just, I, I, I'm so tired of seeing Scorpion and Sub-Zero fight each other. You have to eventually keep shoehorning reasons for them to fight, you know? Not every story can go on forever. 
like in this in this game we got them making peace. In the next game, we need to see them fight back to back together as partners. I am so afraid because in Scorpion's arcade ending, and I am jumping ahead a little bit here. Uh, in Scorpion's arcade ending, we see him take Dark Raiden's side, and it's fine that we discuss it here because it's all kinds of stupid and adult like it. Right. Well, let's 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 go through. So, so in the present day. Scorpion has come to claim Quan Chi's life, get his revenge, finally. Because he hasn't even seen Quan Chi since he came back to life, so he hasn't had the opportunity since finding out the truth from Sub-Zero, from Sector's memories. And the special forces do not want to let him kill Quan Chi because they believe that only with Quan Chi... And his magic can Raiden bring the other revenants back to life the way he did uh, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Jax. This is possibly another case of people foolishly believing things Quan Chi says to them. Yeah, so so first of all, there are, there are a lot of people online who believe that Scorpion is uh, making a mistake killing Quan Chi in this scene. And that he should have waited and let them try to bring Liu Kang and them back to life. It is a little bit concerning to me. It never goes, can you hold off for a little while until I get my gray friend back? But I just assume that at this point, he's left him up for dead for so many years. Here's my understanding of, or at least here's how I feel, and I think Sub-Zero would probably agree. <laughs> Lay it on me. Quan Chi is so slippery that to believe that you have power over him and can make him do a thing is a mistake is utter foolishness to have him locked up Quan Chi let himself be captured so that he would be on earth realm behind enemy lines when Devora came to him with the amulet he planned all of this and his plan succeeds scorpion doesn't kill him fast enough and so Shinnok is let out of the amulet. If Scorpion had been allowed to kill Quan Chi faster, everything would have been fine. You cannot capture Quan Chi. You cannot hold Quan Chi. You cannot make him do what you want him to do. He is smarter than you. He's a lot of things, but he always gets the job done. Yes, Quan Chi is not to be trusted. Quan Chi cannot be manipulated. He is the manipulator. If you ever think you have power over him, you are wrong. <laughs> this is where I remind our listeners and inform our new ones that I have actually been really sick of Quan Chi for a very, very long time now. And as, also, as a person who's also a huge fan of Shang Tsung, seeing Quan in that game take over most of everything he was responsible for doing or orchestrating in the original timeline really rankled me. That said... The fact that after Scorpion cuts his head off, his decapitated head has time for one little smile. Perfect. That's perfect. I can hate the character for 20 years, but I can't dispute that's one of the best moments he's ever had. He got what he wanted, as he yeah. always does, even in death. It's perfect. And so, so anybody who believes that Scorpion made a mistake killing him, that he should have let them bring the Revenants back first... It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. 
first of all, Raiden's belief that only Quan Chi's magic can be used to restore the revenants is not true. There are other ways to restore the revenants. We know that Jade was restored somehow off screen. We know that in Kung Lao's arcade ending, he restores himself just by meditating. And I'm just going to say this. The way that Raiden brings them back is that he couples Quan Chi's dark magics with his own. If you want an infinite source of dark magic, you have Shinnok's severed head, which is still breathing. I can't think of a better source of dark magic than that thing. I'm not entirely clear on why Raiden thought he could recreate the circumstances that fixed uh, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Jax, because... What happened in that scene was that Johnny Cage was dying and a revenant version of him was coming out of the magic blood pool. And Raiden uh, fixed everybody by reversing that. So, what, he could only fix the others if somebody was dying in that room? The whole thing is too... It, it has too many variables. It relies... There's just too many questions. They are brought back literally as an accident. But now that they know it's an accident, there's a, there are ways that they can maybe try to follow through on that. And yes, I agree that it doesn't... It doesn't it need Quan Chi. very, very specific circumstances. And Raiden has decided, based on nothing, that the only way to bring everybody else back is to recreate those circumstances. And that's simply not true. Clearly, he's still recovering from whatever stroke he had around the MK9 period. Give him time, he'll come back to himself. Yeah, it's just it's just dumb. There are so many ways to fix the Revenants. There are so many ways to bring the dead back to life. And it's just uncreative to believe that you need Quan Chi, that that's the only way. It's like I said, it's idiocy to think that you can hold Quan Chi for long enough to make that plan work. He will get out of it and twist it to his advantage. And when I say that, I would have liked Sub-Zero to actually bring up Smoke as an aside. I would also be fine with Scorpion saying, it's too dangerous. That's all I need. That urge of mine just comes from some sort of wish to actually see Sub-Zero acknowledge this alleged best friend he's had for, like, the first time in what feels like forever. There's a lot to say about both timelines and Sub-Zero just kind of leaving Smoke dead. I have so much to say about that. We'll yeah. do that in a future episode. Yeah. Several future episodes. Yeah. Repeatedly. I guarantee it. In terms of Scorpion killing Quan Chi... It had to happen. There are so many reasons that Scorpion was not only right to kill him, but should have done it faster. Like, Sonya and Johnny and Kenshi were the ones making a mistake by getting in his way. Correct. And the fact that so many people are upset at that scene and think Scorpion did the wrong thing, it really bothers me both on a logic level and on an emotion level because just as as an audience member, I have been sick to death of Quan Chi since MK9 too, and seeing him get his head cut off is the single most satisfying scene in the entire game. We were talking about catharsis earlier. Yes. And again, this comes after A- Seeing Scorpion alive with agency purpose. B, fixing things with Sub-Zero and calling the formal truths we've waited for for so long. C, cutting his fucking head off. You could give me a version of MKX's story mode that was 15 minutes long, 
and it would consist of nothing but the tea party, Sonya stepping on Quan Chi's nuts, she's head off, and I think it'd be okay to call it a day. Yeah, if if the whole game was just Scorpion's chapter, I'd be like, this is the best story mode they've ever written. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit here for purposes of comedy. I don't but... know if I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, there. Let's consider how many games have story modes. MKX, MK9, versus DC, uh, Shaolin Monks, and then do we count uh, Deception and Armageddon Conquest? I feel like we can edge them in there, sure. A lot goes okay, on. There's so dialogue. Almost all of those have really bad scripts. Of those six games, MKX is the best written, and Scorpion's chapter is the best chapter. So I don't think I am exaggerating. I think if his chapter was the only story mode we got, it would still be the best written thing they've done. I want people to consider what we've been talking about for the last two hours. We've been talking <laughs> about games taking place exclusively, or most exclusively, in the new timeline. And we have had very, very little disparaging to say about Scorpion as a character through almost any of this. That's true. It's been a really, really good time for him. And a game I'm playing with myself is going over all the cast members and assuming that future games were continuing along this path, along this story, which I don't think is actually going to happen, but... If I had to take a version of each character from one timeline, Scorpion is for me absolutely the case where I would completely, without question, throw original MK Scorpion out with the bathwater. I, I, I want everything he's done, everything he's accomplished to matter going forward. I feel like the timeline's probably going to reboot sooner rather than later, again, properly this time. But it just it's a testament to how much I love post-reboot Scorpion. That I'm saying this. I would like a mixture of the two. The, most characters... I mean, we we have uh, mentioned this on other episodes before, that my feeling is almost every character in the reboot timeline is worse off or worse written than they were uh, in the old timeline. And the only exceptions are Johnny Cage... Striker almost, but not because he died, and maybe Scorpion. And it's the maybe is the fact that his MKX story is the best of Scorpion, but his MK9 story I really don't like. I would much rather have MK1 through 3, and then X after that. I guess I'm kind of looking at this in terms of accomplishment. Yeah, I just... If there was a way to merge characters in MK12 or which they're very well, which they very well might be. Yeah, if like if if we're talking about cutting a character from one timeline and replacing them with a character from another, in the most case in most cases that's what I would do. I would rather have the old timeline version. But in Scorpion's case, I would rather the two combine and have some kind of shared history, which is kind of like a a DC Comics way of retconning a character or rebooting them. Which is fine. I'm just saying if I had to choose, you know? Right. My choices are a little bit more generous than yours are, but Scorpion is the clear, obvious candidate for me. Yeah. Just, th these are the games that made me interested in him. And while 9 did a bad job of streamlining everything that he had gone through up to that point, 
I guess I look back at the older games and I and I and I go, well, to a side, it was mostly the same kind of deal, and it's not like they ever actually really followed through much on the guardianship anyway, and the truce the truce works just as well for me I think. So so we were saying um, that. I was saying to put off talking about his arcade ending just until we got through his chapter because the fact that he kills Quan Chi is an important part of it. Quite. Right, so... So Scorpion's chapter ends with uh, he cuts Quan Chi's head off just as Quan Chi finishes saying the spell that lets uh, Shinnok out of the amulet. And I'll bring up a little bit, bit of a point here. While the Shirarayu are storming the area, he actually also does make a point to not exactly apologize, he tells his troops, don't kill anyone. And he doesn't yeah. quite apologize to everyone, but he's like, this is something I've got to do, don't get in my way. Yeah, this is this is very much one of those good guy versus good guy scenarios like you see all the time in comic books. It's just so refreshing to see him actually giving a shit about his fellow man, you know? I feel like when Scorpion is not murdering people outright, I still have to like, Sit back and focus and take it in. There, there's a bit. There's a bit where Kenshi gets in his way to stop him, and he knocks Sento out of Kenshi's hand, and he's just like, "Dude, stand down. You're you're defenseless without your sword. Just let it go." Like he's trying to be the nice guy because Kenshi is his friend, and just the fact that Scorpion has a friend at all is a nice change of pace. <laughs> he has friends. Plural. Yeah. How strange. Is this real? So the Scorpion's part in MKX story mode pretty much ends with um, Devora had stabbed him earlier, so he was already wounded. And then um, Shinnok kind of knocks everybody out with the amulet before he takes Johnny hostage and goes off to attack the Sky Temple. And then um, Cassie's team shows up and they're like, what happened is still conscious. And he's like, they went to the Sky Temple. And that's sort of the last we see of him. So MKX obviously ends with uh, Raiden having become Dark Raiden. And many of the arcade endings revolve around the idea that Dark Raiden is basically angry Raiden, take no prisoners Raiden, stop fucking with my realm Raiden. And he's going... You know, right before we finished off Shinnok, Kotal attacked my realm. Fuck those guys. Let's go after Outworld. And so, in Scorpion's arcade ending, it, it basically goes that he feels guilty about uh, killing Quan Chi and... For having brought Shinnok. Yeah, for, for Quan Chi having succeeded in bringing Shinnok back right before he died. Scorpion feels partly responsible. And so he decides to go to Raiden and say, I'm, I'm real sorry, what can the Shirai Ryu do to help you? And Raiden, being dark at this moment, and nobody seeming to realize that he's dressing like Dracula and shooting red lightning now. <laughs> Fashion cues, people! Take them into account! <laughs> so so Raiden goes, alright, well we're gonna attack Outworld, you wanna be my frontline troops? And Scorpion's like, I guess I have to, because I said I would help. And so the Shirai Ryu and Dark Raiden attack Outworld, and this leads to, in other arcade endings, uh, Kotokan starting a Mortal Kombat tournament to defend himself, like Outworld are the good guys in this tournament, against Dark Raiden. And this bothers me on a couple levels, 
Uh, one of which is that once the good guys realize Raiden's not a good guy, if Scorpion's still stuck working for him, that means we're back to square fucking one where Scorpion's kind of a bad guy and maybe he has to fight Sub-Zero again. And I just, anything but that, please. Please let Scorpion and Sub-Zero be on the same fucking side. Now, I'd like to believe that this is one of those things where, even if it does happen the way you've described, Sub-Zero is nothing if not smart. He's got the wisdom, he's got insight, and I kind of feel like if there was any one of the cast members to figure out first that Raiden was kind of getting out there, it might be him. So, this might actually serve as, assuming all this happens, the trigger that gets them to fight on the same side, together, against someone. My fear is that, obviously, Sub-Zero, being as good as he is, will notice that Raiden needs to be opposed. But Scorpion will feel obligated to serve Raiden, and will be right back to where when he felt obligated to fight for Quan Chi. And I just, I don't want to see that, man. See, that's like feel for the drama where the guy at the end goes against his obligations and turns around and does the right thing. That's a might predictable, but I feel like we're probably not going to get a forced Scorpion versus Sub-Zero fight out of this. Maybe one, but it's not going to be life or death. I mean, look, if, if they fight each other once early in story mode, and then they're on the same side at the end of story mode, I'll be cool with that. I just, as long as we get to a point where the two of them are actually on a fucking team with each other, where they're fighting together, not just, like, making friends and parting company and do yeah. off doing their own thing in different places, actually fighting back-to-back as partners. I need it. Might happen this time. I think the odds are pretty I, good. I hope it does. Not that CG preview cutscenes are a way to measure anything by, but I feel like MK11's does a pretty good job of setting them on opposing sides. But then again, MK, like, MKX has had Scorpion and Sub-Zero fighting, and that never happens anywhere. True. You know, you can never tell, you can never tell what the hell is going to be the plot from the gameplay trailers. They don't no, really mean anything. you can't. It's one of the reasons why I don't think we bother analyzing this in terms of story, because I think that deep down we all know, you know, it's it's razzmatazz, it's, it's for special effects, it's to wow us. Yeah. And it does a good job at that. And, and I mean, the, the second reason that ending bugs me is just the idea that Scorpion has anything to feel sorry for. It's just dumb. Because, I look, there, there are people who are like, but, but Liu Kang and... Kitana and Kung Lao in them, though. And I'm just like, look. I understand it. I feel the same way about Smoke, but... Look, I would rather have Quan Chi dead than those guys alive. And I want those guys alive. Like, I I hate zombie Liu Kang or Revenant Liu Kang. I, to me, Liu Kang should be one of the main heroes. That's what he's for. And the fact that we live in a generation that's kind of constantly shitting on him and going, he was boring, so this is the only thing we can do to make him interesting, that bugs me. And we talked about that in Lou's episode. But, I think that went back a fair bit, though. But if the price I have to pay to see Quan Chi dead at Scorpion's hands is that Lou stays a zombie, I'll pay that price. Because goddamn did I need to see Quan Chi die at Scorpion's hands. And not, ju- not just die, but die at Scorpion's hands. Like, if anybody else yeah. were to kill Quan Chi, it wouldn't be satisfying. I'd have been upset, too. Yeah. Because Quan Chi dies in deception, and it's not satisfying. It needs to be Scorpion that does it. <laughs> okay, like, we were actually talking about, like, like last episode, 
what happens to Onis and whatnot, what, what would theoretically happen to Quan Chi when he died? You'd figure that he got reset to his natural Oni form, but he's running around in Armageddon. Yeah, like in Armageddon, he has all of his powers and he looks the normal way he always looks. And you could you could excuse that because um, because the plot of Armageddon is all about Shinnok gathering all the forces and bringing everybody back from the dead so that everybody will be there at the pyramid and the battle will happen because Shinnok wants it to happen. So he gave him a free level up is what you're saying. It, you could say that, yes. there's. It's not outright said, but that's a likely explanation. I just don't think that they're ever actually going to explain what happens to the arguably dead when they die. So we're probably free to make up our own well, hypotheses. Well, I mean, we know, we know what happened to Serena when she died in mythologies, and she is a sort demon. Sort of. Sort of. So we can but, kind of infer that it happens to everybody. I don't know. It's it's, it's possible that Quan Chi's Quan Chi has power in the Nether Realm. He's a ruler down there. So if you send him back down there, theoretically, he should just be like, "Hey, guard, I'm your boss. Let me the fuck out." Yeah, the D level thing might even happen to him. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Like, I just think that would be like as a writer, if you're looking for a reason for Quan Chi to not be immune to death, for death to matter. You have to come up with some reason why he would like lose his power, or be stuck, or 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 be sent somewhere other than the Nether Realm when he dies. So what we're saying is no Quan Chi for MK11, right? I'm hoping. I mean, there there is a yeah. window. The fact that we're dealing with two timelines, old timeline Quan Chi could be in. I feel like no one's off the table, really. Yeah, there's there's really no way to eliminate anybody because of the timelines thing. Like Melina died in the last one, but old timeline Melina, <laughs> anything, you know. These are exciting times. So that's Scorpion and MKX. Do you uh, want to bring up anything about the comic, or will we cover that? Uh, I actually, I do want to talk about the comic. So the comic shows us uh, how Kenshi brought Takeda to the Shirai Ryu and Takeda's training. Like, the comic, in a lot of ways, is about Takeda's training years. That's kind of the framing device of the comic. It's all kind of about and around Takeda's journey to um, becoming Scorpion's number one guy. And in terms of Scorpion, it actually does a, f- a job of establishing that he's still got that Hellfire power. Yeah, yeah, that's the comic is really, the comic is the place that explores that, that explains that he kept his power, but in order for him to use it, he sort of has to uh, remember what, like, the emotions he felt that kept him going when he was a Spectre. He has to behave like old scorpion and that this is kind of emotionally unhealthy for him they're sort of like warring personalities in one head in a sense yeah he sort of has to deal with his anger issues in order to evolve as a character and that's sort of what the comic is about and i do like that and i like that they explore um sort of the origins of Takeda and the relationship between Scorpion and Kenshi a little bit why why Kenshi would bring him there and I really like there's a there's a bit in the comic that explains that all the members of the new Shirai Ryu are people who lost their families during Shinnok's invasion that adds a little bit of flavor to the clan where it's like oh it's it's even more he's doing a good thing than it already was because he's giving these people a place to go and something to do with themselves who who have all been hurt by 
in some ways, his own actions because he was fighting on Shinnok's side in that invasion. Look at all that so redemption. There's, there's a lot of a redemption thing already going on there that I like. When we started tonight's episode, I mentioned rainbows and unicorns. Wasn't kidding. <laughs> well, the so the one thing I don't like is that um, Kittleson kills off the clan again. Like at the beginning, Ugh. the first arc, uh, Forest Fox kills everybody except Scorpion and Takeda. And then at the end of the comic, they're like, that's all right, we'll just start over again. We'll rebuild it a second time. I That's poor writing. That That shouldn't be done. In terms of timeline placement, we're already seeing that rebuilt clan in MKX. So yes, it's kind of crappy, but it's... I don't think they're ever going to reference it. I hope not, because it just it just feels so unnecessary. Like, it was just this excuse to put Scorpion and Takeda on a road trip without the rest of the clan coming along, too. There are smarter ways to do that. You don't have to, like, kill an entire group off-screen and then unkill them at the end. Like, it, it just feels like... You could have had Fox kill, like, three or four of them, and it would have served the same purpose. Yeah, and... The other thing that bothers me is the fact that um, because Scorpion has kept his powers, like, so MKX went to all this trouble of making Scorpion alive. But if you really look at it, according to the comic, he's not alive. He's still a specter because he died again. It's just that he decides not to have white eyes and not wear his mask anymore. And Sean does say the comic does matter going forward. I'll see how much that does. But, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a writer covering his own ass and his own work. Yeah, we'll see just, about it that. felt like... I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was very good plotting to do either of those things. And, okay, so there, there is a scene. The scene where Scorpion dies in the comic. Where uh, Havoc beats him to death and, I think, stabs him. And he's like, he's taunting him and he's trying to like, he's trying to go, use your, use your specter powers. Come at me, bro. And Hanzo is choosing not to because that's what Havoc wants. And because there's this idea that when he is using his powers and being old Scorpion again, that he's a little out of control. And that's what Havoc wants. He wants him to be an agent of chaos. And... When Hanzo decides not to become, to go all white eyes and to just die from his wounds, uh, Havoc goes, huh, I didn't expect that. I guess he was an agent of chaos after all. <laughs> so random. A, You've got to love it. Yeah. I didn't see that one coming. He got me. <laughs> uh, uh, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, that, that's a good line. I just, I don't know that the plot is worth it. <laughs> it, it was a happy accident. Most of the good that came out of the MKX comic kind of fair outweighed the bad. It was a bit, it was a bit kill happy, sure. Wasn't a fan of what happened to Kintaro, certainly, but it was a you good, it was a good way to explore Scorpion would, as a character. And I wouldn't have mind Kintaro dying. It's how he died, <laughs> like a bit. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. So that's the story of Hanzo Hasashi. In in all of the canon sources, and also Sheldon Monks. <laughs> yes. Next time, we're going to hit up a little bit of the extraneous material, all the non-canon comics and the novels, 
maybe a little bit of like legacy and some parts of conquest, although not the whole thing, because we may actually want to sit down and expose ourselves to that. We, you know what? I am, I am super committed to uh, at some point doing an episode of Conquest. I like the single or Defenders of the Realm. Scorpion's Bone Patrol. <laughs> you know, he's actually had a Bone Patrol in one canon source and two non-canon ones. He has. It's it's getting to be a thing. It's funny. <laughs> All right, folks. See you next time for part three. Three parts covered with scorpions. There is no getting them off you. <laughs> when we make a promise, we keep it. Good night, folks. All right, get out of here. <laughs>